Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 1 The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond, graven on the tablet of their heart, and on the horns of your altars. The horns of the altars is where the high priest was supposed to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice for the atonement of the people's sins. But the Lord says that the sins of the people are on the horns of the altar, which is the complete opposite of what should be on the horns of the altar. And this is because they've used the temple of God and the altar of God for pagan sacrifices. And therefore, these pagan sacrifices were causing them to have sins accounted to them rather than having sins forgiven. Also, when they did sacrifice to the Lord, it was in total hypocrisy because they were giving sacrifices without repenting. And the whole point of giving a sacrifice is to be forgiven after you have repented. Today in churches, Christians do the same thing. They bring a sacrifice of their time or their gifts or talents to the church, or they sacrifice some of their income, but they don't repent of their sins. And the Lord isn't going to forgive sin when the sacrifice is made that way. The only thing we have to do today is simply repent. In the Old Testament times, they had to repent and give a sacrifice. But Jesus is our sacrifice, so we simply have to repent. The Lord isn't asking for much. It's hard for us to repent because we're addicted to our sins. But when we die to ourselves, the addiction also dies with that desire. And that's why we're told in the New Testament to die to ourselves and take up our cross. Taking up your cross means that you give up your own desires to follow Jesus. And when you've made a commitment to give up your own desires, you do lose those addictions, and then repentance becomes possible. This verse says that the sins are on the hearts of the people graven with an iron pen that has the point of a diamond. This shows you that they had pens in ancient times as well. We like to believe that we invented everything, but we didn't. Diamonds are one of the strongest materials, and iron is also extremely strong. The Lord is saying, metaphorically, there is no mercy for their sin, because they refuse to repent. 2. As their sons remember their altars and their shrines, by the green tree, by the high hills. 3. O my mountain in the field, thy strength and thy treasures, for a prey I give thy high places for sin in all thy borders. The Lord is going to let the Babylonians attack those hills that the Israelites built to worship their pagan gods. The reason we have man-made hills all over the world that are ancient mounds, those are all pagan altars. A shrine is a pagan memorial to the gods, and that's why Christians don't have shrines. And they would worship trees. They believed that gods were in the trees or spirits were in the trees. And that's why Christians don't worship trees. 4. And thou hast let go, even through thyself, of thine inheritance that I gave to thee, and I have caused thee to serve thine enemies in a land that thou hast not known. 
for a fire ye have kindled in mine anger, unto the age it doth burn. The Lord says that his anger will burn forever against the Israelites. It's going to burn forever for people who never repent, and many of the Israelites would not repent unto death, even when the Babylonians came to kill them. They were still in willful sin. 5. Thus said Jehovah, Cursed is the man who doth trust in man, and hath made flesh his arm, and from Jehovah whose heart turneth. When we trust in the world, or things that are man-created, we are cursed. So if our trust is in our checking account, or our retirement, or our children going to college, or if our trust is in the laws, or politicians, or our health, or the doctor that we go visit, or anything that's man-created, then we are cursed. We won't prosper spiritually unless 100% of our trust is in the Lord. 6. And he hath been as a naked thing in a desert, and doth not see when good cometh, and hath inhabited parched places in a wilderness, a salt land, and not inhabited. This is a metaphor, and it's saying that if you put your trust in things of the world, it's like you're in the salt desert of Utah, and you don't have any spiritual resources, which are the fruit of the Spirit, the character traits of God, and faith in Jesus Christ, and salvation itself. 7. Blessed is the man who trusteth in Jehovah, and whose confidence hath been Jehovah. 8. And hath been as a tree planted by waters, and by a rivulet he sendeth forth his roots, and he doth not see when he cometh, and his leaf hath been green, and in a year of darth he is not sorrowful, nor doth he cease from making fruit. This is an extension of the metaphor, and it says that if you put your full trust in the Lord, then you will be like a tree planted by a flowing river, so that you always have water to drink. This doesn't mean that we're going to be rich and have everything that we want, but it means that spiritually we will be making fruit, which means we'll be spreading the gospel and helping the kingdom of God grow. We'll always be green because we'll always be growing in Christ, and we will not have famine of the word of God because we will hear the word of God and obey it, so we won't be walking in spiritual famine. We will have the bread of life, which is the words of Jesus. And that river that we'll be planted by is the river of life that flows from Christ. 9. Crooked is the heart above all things, and it is incurable. Who doth know it? This says that the human heart cannot be cured of its evil intent. The world tells us to follow our heart all the time, and our hearts are abundantly wicked. And that's why the Bible tells us that our hearts are wicked, and we need to die to ourselves and deny ourselves. If you follow your heart, you'll be a sexual glutton, a glutton of food, a glutton of drink. You'll be prideful. You'll be a glutton of money. And you'll live only for yourself. That's what following your heart results in. So we have to deny ourselves and follow the Lord. And then we'll have peace in our lives. 10. I, Jehovah, do search the heart. 
try thy reins, even to give to each according to his way, according to the fruit of his doings. This says, The Lord will reward everyone for what they have done, whether good or evil. For all the sins that we haven't been forgiven of, we will receive a punishment in hell, according to our sins. Some people will have greater punishment in hell than others. And for all of the things that we did do according to his will, for those who go to heaven, they will receive a reward according to what they did. Some people in heaven will have greater rewards than others. 11. A partridge hatching and not bringing forth is one making wealth and not by right. In the midst of his days he doth forsake it, and in his latter end he is a fool. When you make money without righteousness, meaning that you take advantage of people and you rob people, at some point in your life you'll lose what you made and in the end of your life you will be counted a fool before the Lord. It also says that if you live for money that you have gained through falsehood, it's like you're a bird that won't hatch. It's like you'll be spiritually stillborn. Some people may think, Oh, I've never taken advantage of anyone. I've always obeyed all the laws. But when you obey all the laws that are in your government, that still allows you to take advantage of people. A lot of people practice extortion in the privacy of their own home, and it's according to the law, because they may have a relative who gets a disability check, and they pretend that they're taking care of their relative, but in reality, they're just using all the money to go on a shopping spree. There's other people who own businesses, and they do price hikes whenever they want to, knowing that they're overcharging their customer. And then there's other people who, through tax loopholes, they can call themselves a charity when they know that they're actually operating for profit and they're raking in millions of dollars under the disguise of a charity. And that's definitely taking advantage of people. Both secular and Christian organizations do this all the time. And the Lord knows that just because you're obeying the laws of your own government, that doesn't mean that you are free from sin. God isn't weak, and his law is greater than man's laws, and we're commanded to follow his laws, not just follow man's laws and then expect to be saved. 12. A throne of honor on high from the beginning, the place of our sanctuary. 13. The hope of Israel is Jehovah, all forsaking thee are ashamed, and my apostates in the earth are written, for they have forsaken Jehovah, a fountain of living waters. The Lord is honored above everything from the beginning of creation, and anyone who is apostate have lost their hope. The definition of apostate is when you believe that you're saved and going to heaven and you're a child of God, but you're practicing willful sin. You are living a sinful lifestyle. A lifestyle of sin is when you know that tomorrow you're going to sin because you've planned it out. You're living with somebody, or you know you're going to fornicate on your next date, or you know you're going to get drunk on Saturday night, or you know that you're going to go gambling. That's willful sin because you can predict that it's going to happen, which means it is a lifestyle for you. If you call yourself a Christian and you live in willful sin, you are apostate. 
This is what the whore in Revelation is. She is the apostate church. She is all the people who have labeled themselves as Christians or Israelites, but they refuse to repent of their sins. There's a lot of people who are backslidden Christians, and they want to be saved again. They want to repent, but they still haven't quite done it. That's not the same thing as being apostate, which is where you're stubborn in your sin and you're prideful about it, and you believe that there's no way that you could ever lose your salvation and that God owes you a ticket to heaven. That's apostate. So in both cases, you are not saved, but at least in the case of a regular backslider, you at least know that you need to repent. 14. Heal me, O Jehovah, and I am healed. Save me, and I am saved, for my praise art thou. 15. Lo, they are saying unto me, Where is the word of Jehovah? Pray, let it come. Jeremiah says to the Lord, I need salvation, because these men want to kill me. He says they're harassing me and demanding that I have a word from you. 16. And I hastened not from feeding after thee, and the desperate day I have not desired. Thou, thou hast known, the produce of my lips, before thy face it hath been. Jeremiah says, I didn't want to tell these people that Babylon was coming. I didn't want to give them bad news, but I had to tell the truth that you gave me. 17. Be not thou to me for a terror, my hope art thou in a day of evil. And again, he's begging the Lord to preserve his life. 18. Let my pursuers be ashamed, and let not me be ashamed. Me, let them be affrighted, and let not me be affrighted. Me, bring in on them a day of evil, and a second time with the destruction destroy them. Jeremiah is asking that the Lord affirm his words by allowing his attackers to be destroyed rather than him. Jeremiah, in this example, and also King David several times asked the Lord to kill their attackers because they were under heavy persecution. Jeremiah was being persecuted by the other prophets and the religious leaders because he was telling the truth and they didn't like his message of truth. Today, because Jesus Christ has died on the cross, anyone's life can be restored. So we don't pray against people. We pray against evil spirits, and we ask the Lord to drive evil spirits away from us and out of other people's lives. The Lord can restore, through the blood of Jesus Christ, even the most wicked and evil person who attacks us. 19. Thus said Jehovah unto me, Go, and thou hast stood in the gate of the sons of the people, by which kings of Judah come in, and by which they go out and in all gates of Jerusalem. 20. And thou hast said unto them, Hear a word of Jehovah, ye kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all inhabitants of Jerusalem, who are coming in by these gates. The Lord tells Jeremiah to go to the gates of Jerusalem, so he's probably going to have to go to each gate and call this prophecy out at each gate and then move to the next one and do it again. The gates are where people would gather for business transactions and for legal transactions. So this is a place where 
If you have something to say, everyone's going to listen. 21. Thus said Jehovah, Take ye heed to yourselves, and ye bear not a burden on the day of rest, nor have ye brought it in by the gates of Jerusalem. 22. Nor do ye take out a burden from your houses on the day of rest. Yea, any work ye do not do, and ye have sanctified the day of rest, as I have commanded your fathers. The Lord is commanding Jeremiah to go to all of the city gates and tell them to honor the Sabbath day, which is the seventh day of the week. In the law of God, he had told them, you are not allowed to work on the seventh day. You have to rest from your worldly work and trust me to take care of all your needs. But they weren't doing it. They were continuing to buy, trade, and sell in the city gate. That's probably why Jeremiah was sent to those locations where they were buying, trading, and selling on the Sabbath. In the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And Jesus isn't Jesus only one day of the week. He's Jesus every day of the week. Rest, as it's taught in the New Testament, is resting from religion and resting from sin. So we're not allowed to practice religion for salvation or to practice sin any day of the week all year long. And that's how we are constantly in our Sabbath rest in the New Testament. It's okay to have a physical rest one day a week, but if you don't have your spiritual Sabbath rest in Jesus Christ every day of the week, then you're not walking with him. Now, when I say rest from religion, it's okay to go to church and to practice religious rituals as long as those rituals aren't pagan rituals, as long as they are things that help you get closer to the Lord. But we aren't saved by rituals. We're saved by repenting of our sins and putting all of our faith in Jesus. 23. And they have not hearkened nor inclined their ear, and they stiffen their neck not to hear and not to receive instruction. When Jeremiah went to the city gates and proclaimed that the people were violating the Sabbath rest and the Lord was commanding them to rest, they refused to listen to Jeremiah. They just kept doing what they wanted to do. 24. And it hath been, if ye certainly hearken unto me, an affirmation of Jehovah, so as not to bring in a burden by the gates of this city on the day of rest, and to sanctify the day of rest, so as not to do in it any work. 25. Then entered by the gates of this city have kings and princes, sitting on the throne of David, riding on a chariot, and on horses, they and their princes, the man of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city hath remained to the age. The Lord says, If you will keep the Sabbath day holy, and rest in me on the Sabbath day, then Jerusalem will be Jerusalem forever, and it will have a king on its throne forever. We know they did not obey him. King Zedekiah was the last king of Judah, and he was king during Jeremiah's lifetime. So before Jeremiah died, the kingship of Judah ended. But we have a real king, Jesus, who is king forever. And he is our spiritual king, which is a lot higher than any worldly king could ever be. 26. And they have come in from cities of Judah, and from suburbs of Jerusalem, and from the land of Benjamin, 
and from the low country, and from the hill country, and from the south, bringing in burnt offerings, and sacrifice, and presents, and frankincense, and bringing praise to the house of Jehovah. This says that if you obey my Sabbath rest, then not only will this city remain forever with a king on its throne, but also the entire land of Israel will be able to come to this city and give sacrifices to the Lord. The reason the Lord said in the Old Testament that they had to practice the Sabbath rest is because it represents the peace of Jesus Christ that he gives to us. It represents salvation. And that's why in the New Testament, because we have salvation in Christ after we have repented and we're following him, that's why our Sabbath rest is every single day of our lives from the point that we start following Jesus. But in the Old Testament, they practiced a physical Sabbath one day of the week that represented Jesus. 27. And if ye do not hearken unto me to sanctify the day of rest, and so as not to bear a burden, and to come in at the gates of Jerusalem on the day of rest, then I have kindled a fire in its gates, and it hath consumed the high places of Jerusalem, and it is not quenched. He says there will be fire forever in Jerusalem if you do not obey my command. Now the Babylonians were on their way and they were going to set fire to Jerusalem because the people ignored Jeremiah's warning. And that concludes Jeremiah chapter 17.